Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. All right, let's welcome Heather Kamura as she continues our So Now What series. Here's Heather. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all. I just want to welcome you here. We're really glad that you're joining us this morning, especially if you're new or even if you're joining online. We're glad that you're here. We're in uh, this series, like Michael said, called So Now What? And we're looking at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. And I want to start today by giving a little background on our text Acts picks up where the four Gospels leave off with Jesus's death and resurrection. And it chronicles about the first 30 years or so of the early church, the very first church. Now, the book of Acts opens with the risen Jesus appearing to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And I love this because, I mean, just think about the incredible disorienting reality of the cross and the surprising reality of, of you know, Jesus being resurrected from the tomb. And, and he doesn't leave them alone to process that. He walks with them. He talks with them. And, and he continues to teach them about the kingdom of God in light of all that's happened on the cross and the resurrection. And I really love that he not only walks and talks with them, but he doesn't leave them directionless either. He, he as we've heard in the last couple of weeks, if you've been here in this series, that is, he entrusts them with this incredible mission and purpose. And it comes out really clearly right here in Acts, the very first chapter in verse eight, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I think this is a really crucial verse, really great verse to touch on because it's incredibly hopeful for us too. And, and not just because it's also our call and our mission, like Brett said last week, but God is with us too in the so now what's of life. When life gets interrupted, when life turns unexpectedly, when something new happens, when there is an abrupt turn we weren't expecting, when we're left looking over the abyss of an unknown future, that's when we know and need to be comforted with the fact that Jesus is standing there with us, right there with us. No matter what you are facing today and no matter what you have been through, he walks with us, doesn't he? He walks with us through life's twists and turns. And then what we see is that after Jesus gives the disciples this incredible mission, he says, guys, you are called for a purpose. He's taken up into heaven, right? He's taken up into heaven and, and they watch him ascend right before their very eyes up to the throne of God where he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority. And this is a pretty incredible moment for them. I mean, this is something they're gonna remember the rest of their lives. Uh, it's a pretty powerful key moment. And that's what brings us to our passage today. What we're looking at today is the moment right after that 
the moment right after the ascension. And so you think about it, the clouds are clearing, you know, the clouds are clearing and they're like, he's really gone. I mean, he's really gone. And we have this seemingly insignificant passage about what the disciples do next. And it's settled between these two peaks, which is like what we said, the ascension, but also Pentecost, right? Pentecost. And this is where we find our passage today. It would have been about nine days between the ascension and Pentecost, and this is where we find them. And Luke is very intentional here to include what they did in this in-between time, in this in-between time. And I think it's actually, this actually has great significance in the story of the early church. This time is not only a time to prepare them to receive the Spirit of God, but I think it also teaches us, too, what to do in those in-between places of life, in those so-now-what moments of life. So before we dive into our passage, let's just invite the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning and pray. God, we do just that. We say, come Holy Spirit. Lord, I know I need you and I need your strength this morning. And, and I pray you would just come. You would meet every single person in this room individually, but that you would also meet with us corporately today. God, that there would be a unity here because your spirit is with us. Lord, come. Would you just have your way? Uh, we just give you the glory this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking at, uh, like I said, the, the book of Acts. We're in the very first chapter, and we're looking at verses 12 through 14, just three verses today. Uh, if you need a Bible, I think we have some in the back there, but you can also follow along on your devices or on the screens. So we're looking at verse 12 here. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city, and when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So the very first thing that we see the disciples do is they return to Jerusalem which if actually you remember earlier in the chapter in verses four through five is exactly what Jesus commands them to do. And this is what we read. On that occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, he baptized with water, but in a few days, well, you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see them do is after Jesus ascends into heaven is that they, they obey, they listen, they, they listen to God, they trust in his promise and they follow him back to Jerusalem just this time without him on their own. They follow him back. And we, we feel alone at times, I know, where there are gonna be times in our lives where we don't sense God's presence with us. We feel like we're walking alone and we're not sure maybe what to do, especially in the wake of change or in the face of decision, right? And, and we need to remember this example of the disciples right here. This is not insignificant. 
And if you remember anything from this morning's passage, from this talk this morning, would you remember this? Remember this, do the last thing that God told you to do. When you are in those places of in-between, when you're not sure what to do, when you're looking over the precipice of an unknown future, do the last thing that God has called you to do. Wait patiently, wait patiently and spend time in the presence of God. I'm gonna say it again, just in case. (laughs) Okay, do the last thing God told you to do. Wait patiently and spend time in the presence of God. Guys, this is what we see the disciples do. You know, they don't hear this incredible, I mean, mighty call from Jesus, this this amazing purpose for their lives. Watch him ascend into heaven and go, okay, guys, let's go sign up for the first church planning conference we can find, you know? Or let's start planning some meetings about how we're gonna promote our new church in Jerusalem. I mean, those are great things, right? Those Those are sometimes very necessary things, but those are not first things. Those are not first things. Many church planters pray for years before they ever start their church. Just ask Ben and Olivia Allen, right? We just sent them out. (laughs) And usually, and especially even in their case, usually they're still working full-time jobs while they begin their church, still doing the last thing that God called them to do till he releases them and enables them to come on full time. I mean, just think about what would have happened to the early church if they hadn't have listened to God in this seemingly small and significant command to stay in Jerusalem. They would have missed something, wouldn't they? Something big, (laughs) the Holy Spirit himself. And what could we might What might we be missing by not obeying God? See, as a side note here, I know that some of you might be thinking, you know, that sounds good. You know, I really, I really do. I want to be obeying God, but I just don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to really hear God's voice for myself or figure that out. I would just, I'd encourage you to check out our new, our equip class coming up in a couple weeks. It's on hearing God's voice, and and it's not gonna give you the answer, right? You're not gonna walk away with, well, this is what God wants me to do, but it is going to give you some clear and concrete ways to listen and hear and follow God. And if that's you, I really hope that you would join us. I think it's gonna be really good. Uh, An example of this in my life is, some of you know that I lived uh, in Europe for my last semester of college, and And it was one of those precipice moments for me, right? It was the end of college. I actually didn't get to walk, graduate, because I was overseas. We actually made uh, little uh, caps and gowns with paper plates and trash bags. That's how (laughs) sad we were. No, but we wanted to celebrate, but we just, we weren't there for it. And I remember praying, actually, while I was over there, going, God, what's next? You know, this is is huge. I graduated. Uh, what do I do next? And, and as a graphic designer, I had a lot of options. I mean, I could have really picked any city and found a good job. But I, as I prayed about it, which I felt like probably would be a good idea, I prayed about it, and the Lord called me to go home, very specifically called me to go home. And I remember thinking, really? Like, you know, un, unglamorous Delaware County, really? You, know? <laughs> you want me to go back there, Really? And, and I think it was honestly one of the best decisions um, I really have ever made. 
unknowingly. Uh, see, my brother was still in high school at the time. He is six years younger, younger than me. And coming home allowed my now taller than me brother and I to become really good friends in a way that we would not have if I had not have come home. And what I also didn't see was that the next couple years for me was going to be, they were going to be really rough. There was going to be some really highs and high highs and low lows. And he was the guy there for me in those moments. He's the guy, the, the shoulder that I cried on and the one I got counsel from in those years. I cannot imagine where I would be in my relationship with him if not for coming home. It was so incredibly worth it. And for some of you here today, God is saying, go back home to Jerusalem. Go back home. Stop looking over the horizon at the next great thing that you want to do or buy or accomplish and start tending the ground under your feet right now. Right now. Right where you are. And ask God, ask God to plant contentment and patience as you wait in his presence. Because new isn't always better and different isn't always better. And the dreams and plans you have for yourself isn't actually always better. Actually, what God has planned for you is what's best, is what's best. Wait on him. Now I know, because I've been here, singleness might not have been your plan for this moment in your life. Or maybe that job that you're in right now might not have been what you planned for your life or that, that boss that you have right now <laughs> might not have been what you planned for your life. Uh, maybe this living situation isn't ideal, but be faithful where God has planted you now. Wait patiently and spend time in his presence. Watch him. Watch God work and bless you way beyond what you thought was possible, what you can even see right now. Because what do we know? We know that God sees our future. We know that he has good plans in store for us. The key here is will we trust him and will we obey Will we put our faith in his goodness, knowing that, yes, he really does want our best? See, faithful obedience begins in the context of intimacy, in the context of relationship, not rule-following. When you think of obedience, don't think rule-following. Think of following Jesus, following him. See, God is after changing our hearts and boy, staying where you're planted, that does a work on your heart, doesn't it? And it's a beautiful thing what God can do. So here we see their first step is to simply obey. And the next thing we see is that they waited. They waited. And we see this in Acts 1-4. Um, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. What did the disciples do while they waited? Did they just lock themselves in the upper room and sit around and twiddle their thumbs for about nine days, <laughs> waiting for God to come with his so-called Holy Spirit, uh, whatever that was going to look like? We actually read this in the last two verses of the book of Luke, the very last two verses. It says, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven and then they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. 
They did not just <laughs> sit around this whole time. They waited in the presence of God, worshiping him and praying. And I think the key here is all about how we wait in those in-between moments, in those so now what's of life, where we're questioning, right? Where we're waiting. Life feels like tension in those places, doesn't it? When you're waiting. And we don't like tension, do we? <laughs> we don't like tension. We like resolve. You know, we want things to feel resolved. Have you ever asked God about something and he said, um, not yet, and I want you to wait? Hmm? Anyone? Oh yeah, we've all been there, right? And that's when door number two, aka plan B, starts to look really good. Because <laughs> we're like, eh, I don't think I want to do that. That's hard. It's hard to wait. But how many stories do we read in scripture of people not waiting on God? And how does that usually turn out for them? I mean, you can think of a couple examples. And I, what I found is that plan Bs never work out the way we think they will. And waiting on God's timing, even though it's harder, is always a better plan. John Orberg actually says, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get to what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Who you become while you're waiting is as important as what you are waiting for. See, waiting on the Lord is not a waste of time. It is not a waste of time. The waiting isn't something we hurry through so we can get to Pentecost. We don't just hurry through it. Waiting is a place of preparation, a place of preparation. Waiting does something to our souls, to our character, and to our relationship with God, doesn't it? It's that dependence that drives our roots really deep into a real relationship with God. It's no longer a theory or just something we believe in. Boy, we need him. We need him, don't we? In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, great passage. Just such a good reminder. It says, trust in the Lord, right? With all your heart. Do not depend on what your own understanding, but seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You know, I know because I'm this kind of person too, and so is my husband. We're kind of a need-to-know kind of people. And we want to know, don't we? We want to know. We want to know. We want to have a plan. We want to be able to prepare. And, and we think that knowing about what's coming will give us contentment in the waiting. <laughs> It'll give us contentment in the waiting. But it is not true, isn't it? It's God's presence that brings real contentment. It's God's presence, not our own understanding. Trust is the key in waiting, and Pentecost is coming. It is coming. See, Henry Nouwen says, a waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will be revealed. Mm, that's good. So next, let's look at a little bit more about what the disciples did while they waited, while they waited. 
And again, in Acts 1, 14, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, Mary and the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. They prayed, they prayed. And this is where I wanna camp for just a moment here, because I think prayer is really what was at the heart of the early church, the early church. See, you'll see people praying together all the time in the book of Acts, actually over 27 times, and often together with other Christians, sometimes with the whole assembly, rarely by themselves, rarely alone. And, and prayer, prayer is just simply communing with God, communicating with God in his presence, because as we know, it's the presence of God. That's where we find the power of God. And, and I love this quote from John Wimber. He says, we don't seek God's power, we seek his presence. And his power and everything else we need is found there in his presence. You see, movements, they start when people come together and pray. Movements start this way. Some of the greatest revivals, some of the most powerful missional movements have arisen from corporate prayer, from people dedicating their lives to praying together. And, and I found this really interesting. David and Paul Watson, they, they lead a discipleship-making movement, and this is something they recorded that they saw in their own ministry. They say, we looked for common elements within each group. Each of them had started more than 20 churches per year. What? <laughs> One group started more than 500 churches in the previous year. We found many common elements among them, but the only element that was present in every team was a high commitment to prayer. As we started looking worldwide, we make, made a critical observation. A prayer movement precedes every disciple-making movement. Hmm. You may not know this, but this is actually how the vineyard movement started. It's how it started. It was a bunch of burnout Christians <laughs> meeting in a living room, praising God and praying, repenting and weeping, the early leaders of the vineyard will attest to the power and influence of the vineyard movement in those following years being rooted in the prayer and worship that happened in that small living room. Luke specifically, he calls out two things about prayer that I wanna end on by looking at today and, and they're unity and constancy, unity and constancy. First, it says in, in verse 14, they all, all, to make sure, all join together. They all join together constantly in prayer. And, and I think this is beautiful because Luke specifically recounts who the all is in the room. And a couple verses later, we actually read this. It's about 120 people total. 120 people, that's a lot of people. It's like this kind of size of room all of us in one room together praying. And, and so Luke actually names them. He says, here's the 11 disciples. And then he adds that there were also women in the room, which is really cool. See, women take a very prominent place in the ministry and the life of Jesus. And Luke, in particular, features women a lot in his books. And for being a detailed historian like he was, 
that would have actually been pretty unusual in his day. He constantly brings to light the liberation of women by the gospel, by Jesus and his kingdom. And then we also have the inclusion of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And I also think this is really cool. These are Jesus's half-brothers, two of which actually become prominent leaders in the early church, particularly James. He actually becomes the one who leads the church in Jerusalem. And I think this is significant because there was a time when these guys, these bros, did not believe in Jesus at all. They actually have recorded that they thought he was crazy. <laughs> and they would talk bad about him because they just couldn't believe he was doing what he was doing. And yet here they are, following his resurrection, they are following him. They have, they've been converted. They believe in Jesus. And, and quickly, I think this tells us two things. Two things. I think one is a warning and one is an encouragement. Proximity to Jesus, even proximity that's like physical within a family does not guarantee faith, does it? But then secondly, those who are unbelievers today could become believers tomorrow, even family members, amen? So for those of you that are praying, keep praying and take heart. So here we see this, this ragtag bunch of people in this room, and it says they were all continually united in prayer. And the Greek word here is homathamadon, and it can be translated of one mind, with one accord, or one passion. And this is how the prayers of the early church started. And in fact, this same term is used about 12 times in the book of Acts. So Luke really hones in on this term, that one accord, that united, cohesive, not disjointed, not divided. When the Spirit of God is present, there is one mind, one mind. Not 20, not 360, like one mind, you know, just one mind. Have you ever been a part of a group, like a Bible study or a small group, where you're about ready to say something and then someone across the room says exactly what you were about to say about the passage you were reading? You're like, oh, that's weird. Or, or I've, I've actually been in times where, I was actually in a time where our small group was in a lot of transition and I was really questioning and, and not sure about how the group was gonna go. And, and I remember it happening every single week where I would have my notes from the Bible study and someone across the room, somewhere in the room would say exactly what I had written down. And I'm like, oh, it's like, it's like the same God, you know? <laughs> like we're, we're hearing from the same God, like he is here. And when he is present, there is a sense of unity, of one mind. Now I am all for praying alone. I'm an introvert, of course. I am all for praying in that solitary place. And honestly, because we see Jesus doing that himself, we see him doing that himself, but, but prayer might start in the closet, but it, it doesn't stay there. It does not stay there and it shouldn't stay there. There is a time for God's people to come together, united and cry out before him. Are you meeting with other believers to pray? I know that, you know, it could be like one-on-one or, or maybe a larger gathering or maybe a small group like I was talking about. 
But if not, I would really encourage you, find a place in your life, in your schedule, where you can get together with other believers and pray together. Pray together. I think it is incredibly important part of our lives with Jesus and, and what he wants to do in and through us. So secondly, what we see in this verse is that they all joined together constantly in prayer. And I want to touch on that, constancy and prayer. This word here means steadfast, relentless, persistent, unyielding. And the text reads literally, were continually devoting themselves to the prayer. And that's why I think these believers came back time and time again to this room, maybe at the end of the day, maybe at the beginning of the day, but they kept on praying and they did not give up. And this is an important part. I think Luke eleven thirteen it says, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to what? To those who ask him. Ask him. We must ask. And I really believe that persistence is key. We see this in a parable in Luke 18. If you have time to read it on your own, it's a great parable. And it's about this widow, and she keeps banging on the door of this, this judge demanding justice. And, and finally, he's like, you know what? Fine, I'm just going to give her what she wants because I'm just sick of her bothering me. And Jesus, he, he turns it on its head and he says, guys, how much more? How much more will your heavenly father who loves you give to you when you call on him? Don't give up. Don't give up. And, and I know that some of you here, you need this word today. You need to be encouraged because you have been praying a long time for that loved one or that friend or you have been praying about that situation in your life for a long time. And you're, if you're honest, you're getting tired of praying the same thing over and over. Well, can I encourage you? Maybe God is asking you, instead of doing it alone, gather some friends around you. Ask them to pray with you on behalf of that loved one. Ask them to pray with you on behalf of what, what, that, what that situation that's going on in your life. It is hard to ask for help. I know that. That is, it feels vulnerable, doesn't it? But boy, is it powerful. It is so powerful when we pray together. Prayer is, is one of those things that won't just happen. We actually have to plan for it. And it usually starts off looking like discipline, doesn't it? <laughs> it starts off looking like discipline. And then over time, it turns into devotion. It turns into devotion. And, and while we can do these things individually, there is something so special about praying together. I want to end with this story. I want to end with a story. We have a picture here. You know, Charles Spurgeon. Anyone ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? I think a lot of you have, right? He was called London's Prince of Preachers. What a title. <laughs> I love that. And he really believed in the power of prayer. And it would come out of his heart all the time when he preached. I mean, he had tens of thousands of people that would weekly meet at his church. And of course, this attracted a lot of attention. And pastors and church leaders would come to Spurgeon's church. And, and they'd ask him, God, you know, what, what's your secret for this massive church? And you know what he would do? He would take them downstairs to the basement of the church. 
And during the service is when he would do this. And, and there, in the basement of the church, were 300 people on their faces pleading before God for what was going on upstairs. And he said, guys, this is it. This isn't a secret. This is my engine room. And he said, if this engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. We can't expect blessing if we do not ask. Wow. Did you know that we actually have a group of people here at VCDC that meet weekly to intercede for this church and for the world? And did you know that your staff and your pastors, they meet weekly together to pray for you? It is one of the sweetest blessings I've gotten to encounter being on staff at this church. And I just think of what it would have been like to have been in that room with those disciples, to have been constantly praying and praising God, united and, and faithful in waiting for what he was about to do. That anticipation, that, that expectation would have been tangible in the room. It would have been tangible. God was preparing them to receive one of the greatest gifts we have ever received, which is the Holy Spirit. And God is, he's asking us to be willing to do the same as the disciples. Will we be faithful right where we're at today? Will we be faithful? Will we wait patiently? And will we spend time in his presence? See, if we will, if we will, we will see God do great things through his spirit in this place, in this church, in this world and community, and in our lives, and in our lives. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.